Good morning. It is good to see everyone out here today. Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 15. Our theme for the year is Each One Reach One. And we're talking, we just finished up talking about the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and how that applies to each one of us and what we can do and what we need to do as individuals to get ourselves to a place where we're effective. First of all, where we understand what the Great Commission is all about and how we can be more effective in living out the Great Commission and reaching other people for the gospel of Christ. I had a real hard time getting this message together. Really difficult time uh, finding where God wanted me to go the next step uh, with this, this idea. What we're going to be doing the course of, of the next several weeks uh, after Easter, we're going to be talking about some of the parables of Jesus that he preached about uh, on reaching the, uh, building the kingdom, reaching people with the gospel, uh, the practical lessons he taught us through parables, but also looking at some of the individual connections that Jesus made and how he uh, one-on-one reached people with his message and with his love. But starting that out and getting to where he wanted me to be with it uh, and, and preach this, ne- the, this next message was going to be two weeks long. It was really tough. And uh, I was actually, I was kind of blank for a couple days. And uh, I spent a lot of time uh, listening to the Bible and, and uh, reading the Bible and, and listening to music and really pr- spending a lot of time praying and saying, God, where do you want me to go with this? And I realized after I got the message that there were some things that had to happen, some conversations I needed to have, some, some uh, connections with people I needed to make that helped me to understand this next step. And it's not just been this past week, it's been the last several months. And I've mentioned a couple times in, in Sunday morning's uh, messages and in our Bible study and even with conversations with many of you, uh, some very concerning, I won't say disheartening or discouraging, because it's not disheartening or discouraging, the conversations I've had, but some very eye-opening conversations and some very um, interesting conversations I've had with Christians, not with unbelievers. You'd expect conversations like I've had to be had with unbelievers, people that don't believe the Bible, people that don't, have never accepted Christ, people who don't understand what following Jesus Christ with our lives is all about. The conversations I've had have been with people who claim Jesus as their Savior. And it has shown me a huge problem. Now, let me, let me preface all of this with this statement. This is not a negative message. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not, I'm not going at anybody in particular and pointing at people and saying, you're wrong, you need to confess. This is message all about priorities, Okay. Everybody got that? It's a message all about priorities. And it's a message about the importance of the word of God and the mission we've been given from Jesus Christ to reach this world. But I've realized over these several conversations, and mostly, once again, if you're under 40, if you're a millennial or whatever, Generation X or whatever those generations are called, please don't get upset with me because it's not just you. But most of those conversations have been with people in that generational time frame. And I've realized that somehow, some way, 
Many in the church, including our leadership in many areas, have lost our way. And we've lost an understanding of what we're here to be about. What the gospel is, what a Christian is supposed to be, and what our mission is. When we say each one reach one, we're talking about very simply, very plainly, very bluntly. We're talking about reaching individuals one-on-one with the message of salvation and, and telling people they need to be born again if they want to escape hell and go to heaven for all eternity. The message that the Bible teaches the words of Jesus Christ. Point blank. That's it. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Reaching people with the love of Jesus Christ. And I've seen that over the course of time, many in the church, and the church to a large degree has lost its way. And we've lost, lost our priorities and we've lost our focus. And we've, getting, we've gotten to a place where other things have become more important than our primary message. Now, we say they're not. Right? We say that we're still all about reaching people with the gospel, yet the way we interact and the way we cannot con- conduct ourselves and what we show the world that is important to us really isn't the message of Jesus Christ. If I were to go out onto the street and conduct a survey with people today, just non-believers, anybody that, that um, just anybody on the street, and I was to say, Which political party do you think an evangelical Christian lines up with? They would say, the Republicans. Right? Am I right? Come on. This is a place of honesty and openness and transparency. Am I right? Thank you very much. Why? Because our leadership says so. In fact, I've talked with a couple people over the last several months that have said, well, we're supposed to vote Republican if we're Christian. Seriously. Now, I'm not, please understand me. I'm not mocking anybody. I'm not attacking. If you're a, if you're a right winger, good for you. I'm sure you have some good principles. If you're on the left side, good for you. I'm sure you have principles that put you there. If you're in the middle, good for you. You know what? I don't particularly care. I truly don't. Because Republicans and Democrats and, and independents are not going to go to heaven because of the way they vote. In fact, America isn't going to heaven. Americans, if they choose Jesus Christ as their personal savior, will go to heaven. And that, those conversations is what are, are what this message has been born out of. It's not something that you ask Erin. I've, I've had a lot of conversations with her this week and almost terrified to preach this message because it's tough. Um, And I want to preface it by saying, once again, I'm not attacking anybody. But these are observations that God has has really worked on my heart about over the last several months. And the reason I believe it's so drastic and so important that this, this message is so important over the next two weeks is because we need a course correction as Christians. We truly do. If we're going to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, which is all that matters... Truly for eternity. Folks, that's all that matters. Listen, I know, we do, I talk a lot. And you, those of you um, that have never met Zach, our worship leader, our assistant pastor, that's, that's my oldest boy. He's our worship leader. He's our assistant pastor. He runs our children's ministry. He over oversees our children's ministry. Uh, you'll notice he was wearing a Dodgers jersey. 
That's a, that's a law in my house. When you raise it in my, in my house, um, I have two daughters that have gone astray and uh, are Red Sox fans, but I'm praying for them. Um, but I, just joking, man. We, I, I'm a Dodgers fan, huge. And we had a, we've had a great few, three days, right? Three, we lost, we were two and one. We've hit the ball out of the park all over the place. You know what? That's great, that's fun. It's a great distraction from life. And that has nothing to do with eternity. I'm not gonna get any special treatment in heaven because I was a Dodgers fan. Although I think I probably deserve it. <laughs> just kidding. There's not. So those things that we hold dear in many areas, we have to make sure we have prioritized correctly in our lives when we're looking at what really truly matters for us as believers in this world living out our faith. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 3, is a parable. There's a song that we sing here. It's, it's been on the radio the last, uh, over the last year. It was a very popular song, uh, Reckless Love, right? And it's, it's from this, uh, a part of it comes from the parable that we're going to be looking at over the next two weeks. And the message that I'm preaching today the, over these next two weeks is, called, is titled this, The Importance of One Lost Soul. The Importance of One Lost Soul. In Luke chapter 15, beginning verse 3, Jesus is speaking. He says, so he told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Jesus wasn't saying the 99 weren't important. The 99 were already safe. Okay? The 99 had already accepted him. The 99 were in the fold. And that's awesome. When I was in school, I would have, I would have almost killed to get a 99 in geometry. In fact, I'd have killed to get a 69 in geometry. My lowest score ever in school was an 18 on a geometry test. How in the world do you get an 18? I have no idea. I get an 18 on a geometry test. Anyway, 99% is great, isn't it? 99% is, you'll, you'll go anywhere you want in life, and you'll get just about anything you want in life if you are at 99%, right? If you could be 99% healthy every day of your life, that's pretty good. That's really good, right? Jesus said... For him and for us, 99 can't be good enough. 99 can't be good enough. That one that's out there, that's still in need, that's got to be our passion. I, I, these two families, I, Antonio, Osvaldo, Flavia, and kid, <laughs> your, your children, I, I'm in love with these people and their passion for souls. They have joined a church that is a totally different culture. Not because of our beautiful building and our wonderful glass wall back there, but because they want to reach people that we can't reach on our own. And we're partnering together as a church now to reach anybody and everyone. Why? Because Brazilian and Portuguese-speaking speak, people in this area need Jesus Christ. They're the, they're, they're the one. They're the one. Jesus said 99 is not enough. As a follower of mine, 
99 is not enough. Leave the 99 to search for the one. At this time in his ministry, Jesus was attracting crowds, but not the normal crowds that typical religious leaders attracted. He was attracting outcasts. He was attracting sinners. He was attracting broken people, dysfunctional people, people with a past. In fact, before uh, he, he taught this parable, the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were speaking among themselves about the fact that Jesus was sitting down and, and eating the nerve, eating with sinners, eating with people who were not from the religious community. He was eating with people who more than likely would not be allowed to go into the synagogue in their current state. Sound familiar? We've gotten to a place in, our, in the church age here in America where whether we verbalize it or not, people don't feel welcome here. Right? There's a reason why, and no lie, man, and this is not a reflection on you. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't want you to take offense to what I'm about to say. New life is known as the church to go if you've got nowhere else to go. If no other church will welcome you, well, go to new life. They take anybody. That's actually been said about this church. Go to new life. They take anybody. Good. I want to tattoo that across my forehead. Come to new life. We'll take anybody. Why? Because Jesus tells me he takes anybody. He took me. He took you. He takes anybody. The Pharisees were accusing Jesus of hanging out with people, oh, I don't know, that just needed him. They needed him more than anybody could under, understand or imagine. And that was his problem. That was his, his, his issue. That was their issue with him. That he was hanging out with the wrong crowd. He wasn't going through their process. He was becoming friends with them. He was eating with them and actually talking with them, giving them the time of day. He was making a connection with these people with the purpose of sharing his love with them. But the religious people didn't like it. They liked the status quo. They liked the safety of their religion and their tradition. They were very comfortable in their 99. They were very comfortable in their 99. They didn't want their boat rocked. But Jesus had a lesson to teach them and a challenge to give to them. In this parable, he references lost sheep. One lost sheep in need of help and direction, a sheep that is wandering without a compass or a map. And he says that a good and loving shepherd will leave the 99 safe sheep to go search for the one lost sheep because that one lost sheep matters. One of our taglines for this year is, Broken lives matter. Hashtag broken lives matter. And no, Taylor, it's not spelled out up there. By the way, I know that the old number symbol is the hashtag symbol. I spell it out because I'm 56 and I just do it because it's me. It's like spoken word, right? Broken, we, we are, one of our phrases for this year is broken lives matter because they do. The church should not be a place where only healthy people are welcome because truth be told, none of us are really truly 100% healthy. We're all broken in some way. 
And every one of our lives matter. And every one of the lives out there matters. And we've got to understand that. And we've got to get to the point where we realize that and accept that challenge to reach out to the broken lives. The meaning of this parable is clear. There are people in this world who are lost in the wilderness of life and they need someone to search for them. They need someone to look for them, to give up their time to reach them. And when they are found, the Bible tells us heaven will rejoice. It's a parable of need, responsibility, and action, and it's a parable that is directed at us. On the surface, the 99 refers to sheep. Yes, it does, but when you dig into the meaning of this parable, you see that the 99, what the 99 represents is much deeper than animals. The 99 in this parable represents your life. More pointedly, the things in your life that matter to you. That's what the 99 represents. It's not just your life, it's the things in your life that matter to you, the things of life that you hold dear. Not just matters of faith, but those sacred cows in our life. Those areas and issues that you struggle to let go of, that you struggle to allow God and His grace, His wisdom and His teaching to reach into and change. When I went through college in, in some of my preaching courses, I had one, pro- one professor in particular who he said, your sermon has got to answer this question. Your sermon has got to be about the, what is the big idea? What's the big idea? What is it that you're trying to get across? Or what's the big idea of this parable? The big idea is this. One person matters. One person matters. It's been said, it, if, if you were the only person that was a sinner, that was ever born... Jesus would have died for you. That's how much one life, one person, one individual matters to him. We say that much like we say, love the sinner, hate the sin. But when we say we love the sinner, but we hate the sin, we ask the question, we should ask ourselves a question, does the sinner feel loved, right? With this, we say one life matters, but I would ask this question, are we living and serving in such a way that we're showing that one life truly matters to us? That one life really does matter? The sermon is about the ten things, ten things in your life that one person matters more than. Say that again. This sermon is about ten things in your life that one person matters more than. Once again, I'm not picking on anybody. And I'm not saying that the things I'm going to share with you are wrong on the surface. What I'm saying is we need to make sure we prioritize things and even look at certain things in our lives in light of being a Christian, a follower of Christ, and how we can use these things to reach this world for Jesus Christ. So why not, what the heck, let's just jump in and just blow everybody up right off the bat, okay? Number one, the first thing is this, that one soul matters more than your politics. That one soul matters more than your politics. Telling you, man. Now, we live in an area where that is really a big deal here. I talk to a lot of pastors in the communities that I, uh, that I uh, the, the pastoral groups that I hang out with, 
And I, I mean it. Some of these guys have no understanding of the fact that they actually have Christians in their church, God-fearing, God-loving people who are Democrats. They're seriously, man. They have no idea, no concept of that whatsoever. What do you mean? What do you mean? Jesus was a Republican? <laughs> and he read the King James Bible. Come on, man. And what has happened today in America is that the church has, gotten a, has been tagged with a reputation of being right-wing only need attend. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody that speaks for the church in an interview is supportive of right-wing politics. Right-wing this, right-wing that, Republican this, Republican that. Now, I don't really care, honestly, I don't really care what, how, how you vote. You're the one that has to answer for your vote. You're the one that has that vote. It's your vote, okay? I don't, I'm not here to influence your politics. Understand that? I'm not here to, to we're not going to have a voter registration sign up out in the hall. We don't get involved in those things here at New Life. I'm not going to take a political stand on things. We don't get involved in those things. We just don't do it. We have a city councilor here in our church. I talk with Melvin. Melvin keeps me informed on things. He's a great man. We are very fortunate. Those of you who live in Springfield, you're amazingly fortunate to have a man like Melvin Edwards sit on your city council and fight for what's right in the city. But Melvin, I don't get information from Melvin to prepare my sermons about politics. Those things are important, and that's what, that, that's what he, where, where God has called. And I really believe God has called Melvin to be a city councilor because he does great work, and he does work that matters for the kingdom of God and the lives of the people. And through the work that he does, he's trying to influence for the right things, if that makes any sense. But your politics are, of not, are, are not my concern whatsoever. My politics are not your concern. But what has happened in our country, what has happened in the church, is that politics have taken a huge role in how we minister and how we serve and how we live out our faith. So much so that several conversations I've had with people, none that go to this church, don't, I'm not telling tales out of school here. We, do you realize how amazingly fortunate we are in this area? to have an opportunity to have an individual with the anointing of the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way as Franklin Graham to come and try to reach this area with the gospel message. It's not a political rally he's holding. These, these classes that Aaron talks about, they're not classes to go to so you can learn how to share the Republican platform. It's not a, it's not a Trump rally. You're not going to see jacked up trucks and red hats everywhere. It's not what it's about. Listen, I tell you, man, I'm not holding back, okay? I'm tired of this stuff. I'm tired of having these conversations with Christians and having to defend the faith. And that's what it boils down to. Antonio, I don't understand it. I'm having to defend the faith and the word of God in a political, in a political sphere. Unbelievable. People will say, I would, I would not go near that. Somebody actually told me this week, I was talking to my dad about it. My dad just kind of shook his head. My mom and dad just kind of shook their heads. Well, I guess Franklin Graham's probably saved. Oh, really? Good for you. 
influence your faith. Let your faith influence your politics. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. For those who have said about the last three presidents, I never, I never heard this growing up, right? It's only been the last, probably the last three presidents since, since uh, George W. Bush won the controversial election over Al Gore in 2000. Now, if, if your candidate loses, well, he's not my president. What are you, from Tahiti all of a sudden? This is America. I know they probably don't teach civics in school anymore, but they should. And whoever wins that election is your president. Stop acting like you're seven. I'm an expert on seven-year-olds. I have two of them. Stop acting like you're seven years old. Grow up, accept reality, and do what the Bible... We don't want to bring the Bible into this now, do we? As a Christian, we better. Let's read what 2 Timothy chapter 2 says. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Did you know that praying for your president and your, your political leaders shows godliness and dignity as a Christian? Well, I don't like what they stand for. Okay. Nobody asked you if you did. You had that right to express your belief on election day. Whether your candidate won or lost. You know what? I've voted for people in the past that I wasn't really happy about afterwards. Because they really kind of disappointed me with some of the things they did. But the Bible says I'm not of this world anymore. The Bible says I'm a citizen of heaven. The Bible says Jesus told me he's going to prepare a place for me. And my job now is to live in such a way and act in such a way and reach out to people in such a way that I shine the light of Jesus Christ to them so that they'll come and accept him as their savior, not so that I'll get their vote. That's what matters, and that's what's important. Your faith should be your fabric. Your faith should be the fabric of your life. You don't have your faith life and your life. You have your faith and your faith, the goal of a Christian is that your faith be woven throughout everything in your life. So that your faith influences everything you do. You're not, when we say your faith, the word of God. Because here at New Life, we believe the word of God is infallible, 100% true. The word of God. Don't add to, don't take away. You believe Noah built an ark? Yes. You believe Jonah was swallowed by a big fish? Yes, I do. You believe there was a great flood? Yes, I do. I, you know what? I do. I don't think that's any sillier to believe in than that there was nothing and all of a sudden, bang, everything was created. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk like adults. As Christians, our faith should be woven throughout every piece of our lives, influencing every decision, every conviction, and every stand you take. I believe that. Listen, I don't, I don't care where you stand on the spectrum. There, I'll, I'll bring this one up. Many under 40, especially under 30-year-old Christians now are wavering on the topic of abortion. Okay? There are a lot of, a lot of young people in the church that think it's a woman's right to choose to have an abortion. Maybe one of you are there. Listen... If that's your view, all I ask is that as a Christian, you take this Bible 
and you show me how you can prove that abortion is okay with God. That's all I ask. I don't really care about what you think about somebody's rights. All right, we're going to get to that one too. Don't worry. What I care about is what this word says. I can defend my belief that abortion 100% is murder. Not wrong, murder. Oh, that's kind of harsh. Absolutely. And when you take the life of an unborn child, that's harsh. That's mean. That's terrible. It's one of the worst things that you can do. And I can defend it with the word of God. That's what I'm talking about. I don't care where you stand. As a Christian, whatever you stand on, you should be able to... Listen, you, could, you, can, you can believe in global warming if you want, or, or what's it called now? Uh, climate change. You can believe, hey, I don't care. Believe whatever you want. Prove it with the word of God. Take a, take a, let your faith influence what you stand for. The second thing is this. That one lost soul matters more than your cause. Bleed right from politics into causes we get ourselves involved in. That one lost soul matters more than your cause. No matter how you want to twist, twist all right. This is one of the big ones here. This is one of the ones that, uh, yeah. You ready for this, folks? That one lost soul, that no matter how you want to twist, twist scripture, the fact remains, Jesus was not a warrior for social justice. And the crowd falls silent. He wasn't. He was not a warrior for social justice. Well, you should read the teachings of Jesus. Okay, I have, just to let you know. I've read them several times. I've studied them. I've dug into them. Jesus was not a warrior for social justice. You know what Jesus was? Jesus was the savior of the world. The Bible takes a lot of hits about it, it supports slavery. No, it doesn't. But do you know what the Bible says? Whatever situation you find yourselves in, honor God in that situation. And he was writing to slaves at that time. There were slaves in the Roman, uh, of the, of, in the Roman society. And he said, listen, obey your masters. Honor God by obeying those who have authority over you, even in slavery. He wasn't supporting it. He was saying that no matter where you are, you've got to honor the teachings of the word of God. Jesus was not a warrior for social justice. If he was, he would have addressed what isn't abortion, but was what might be even a little bit worse. What they would do back in those days, even in the Jewish culture, if they had an unwanted child that was born, they would go out into away from the cities and towns, out into untraveled areas, and they would leave the child there. They wouldn't take them to an orphanage and drop them off with a note. They'd take them out basically into the wilderness and leave them there to die. An innocent little child. Let me turn to the, oh wait, no. Jesus didn't address that. You know why the Jew, one of the reasons the Jews didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah at that time? 
Because what they were looking for was a political overcomer, a conquering king, a warrior king, a hero to save the day. Because remember, the Jews, the nation of Israel at this time, was in bondage to the Romans. It wasn't an easy time. Remember, when Herod found out that Jesus was born a king of the Jews, as they said, what did he do? He sent, right, he sent out his armies to kill every child, two, every male child two years and younger. Yet Jesus didn't stand up against that. Jesus didn't try to overthrow the Roman government. Although there's, those were, there were those who wanted him to. And that's what they were expecting. Jesus came as a baby, as the lamb to be slain. As the sacrifice for our sins. There will be a day when Jesus comes back as a conquering king. There will be a, ba- a day when Jesus comes back and, and defeats the armies of the enemy and sets up his kingdom here on earth. But that's not why Jesus came at first. He came to die for our sins. Jesus was not a warrior for social justice. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Beginning of verse 18, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to the, the ministry of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors of, for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is the ministry he has given to us. That is the calling on each and every, every one of our lives. Each one reach one. Be reconciled to God. Not be free in your society. Not have equal pay for equal work. I'm not saying those things are wrong, folks. I think if a woman can do a job that a man can do, she should get paid just like a man. Maybe even better if she's better. Well, if she's better at it, she should be paid better. Listen, man. That's, but that has nothing to do with the mission that I've been given as a Christian. The Bible doesn't tell me to fight for somebody's rights. The Bible tells me to share the love of Christ so that they will come to know him as their savior. Free people are going to die and go to hell. People with 100% rights of Amer- as American citizens are going to die and go to hell. Why? Many times because we are so, so concerned and so worried and so busy worrying about the cause that we want to stand up for. That we forget or ignore the fact that we're not here to support causes. We're here to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would ask this question, does your life match your faith? Once again, you claim to believe scripture. Listen, are your causes based on scriptural principles and teachings? The cause of Christ is bigger than any cause you can think of or imagine. The cause of Christ is bigger than any cause you can think of or imagine. Listen, I know what I'm, I, I know, I, I know how harsh this is. I know how harsh it sounds. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a racist. I'm not misogynist. I'm not, I, I want everybody, listen, I, I just want everybody to get along. 
I just want everybody to be able to live their lives and do what they want. But more importantly, and that, that's me as the citizen, but more importantly, me as the follower of Jesus Christ, I, you know why I want to live in a free society? So I have the freedom to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. Man, my, I, I, I know a guy that is a missionary. He's a, South, he's a South Korean national living in North Korea. He's a missionary. I will not speak his name because this goes out over Facebook. And if they found out what he was really there for, he'd be at, at best imprisoned. At worst, they'd kill him. He has to go in under an assumed life in order to share the gospel. I don't have to do that. Neither do you. Every day we have the freedom to go sit at Dunkin' Donuts and sing how great is our God until somebody listens. We have the freedom to do that here. Gabriel and Michael take the bus to school. The bus driver, Mr. Rob, works out of the gym with me and he gives me an update and I laugh at him. You drive a bus full of first and second graders, dude. What are you thinking? You know what I'm saying? There, it's not going to be it's, it's not going to be lime jello with whipped cream. And uh, he says, I don't know what that song is, but Michael wouldn't stop singing it. Bless my soul, bless my soul. <laughs> yes, Michael's singing Jesus music on the bus. It's awesome, man. And you know what, Rob? He he said, I I just wanted to sing a different song. I said, Well, Rob, why don't you come to church? You can sing that song with us, so you can sing along with him. I said, listen, Rob, I teach my boys. I'm trying, my wife and I are trying to teach our boys to live their faith. And I'm not going to tell them to stop singing that song on your bus. If you don't want to hear it, get a different job. <laughs> Seriously. Because I am going to live my faith loudly. La, 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 live out loud. Right, Zach? Stephen Curtis Chapman. Live out loud. Make sure that we, and, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this point. Um, we've still got eight more to go. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah, it might be a little more than two. Um, make sure that when you find a scripture that seems to fit your narrative, you read the context of that scripture. It may simply be a scriptural soundbite rather than a scriptural principle. I can find all day scriptures that make it sound like we should be warriors for social justice. But when I read them in the context of the passage of scripture, I realize, wait a second. Yeah, not what I was thinking. Not what I was going to apply it to. Yet we do that all the time. I've had people try to make arguments with me all the time. College students. Because you, you think, well, young college students, because you think you, <laughs> younger, younger, whoops. <laughs> I'm going out of it. No, I'm going out of it, Jonathan. I don't want to be on camera. Wow. wow. Yes, I'm sorry, Jake. I apologize. Wow. You see, there's no way to get out of this now either. I'm sorry, I'll buy you a new diamond. All right. <laughs> wow. Anyway, whew. ouch, that hurt. I love you too. And her parents are watching, so, and her dad is a lot bigger than me, so. Uh, 
moving on. If I spend my, my time fighting to right wrongs and working for equality rather than evangelism, then I'm missing the point of being a Christian. If I'm spending my time fighting to right wrongs and working for equality rather than evangelism, I'm missing the point of being a Christian. That is a noble pursuit in light of having the opportunity to share your faith with people. There's nothing wrong with equality. It's what we should, it's what we should desire in a nation that is founded on our principles. But more so than that, everybody should be equally, everybody should equally have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is one place all people are equal. That's the foot of the cross. Everyone needs him and everyone can receive him. There is a balance to find. There is a balance to be found, but it starts with God's cause being your number one cause. Causes are great. Causes are important as long as they are viewed in the light of your faith and the teachings of the word of God. You see, it's not as bad as I made it out to be at first. And maybe it is, but I'm not attacking you. I'm trying to help us all understand and have a course correction in the church worldwide or nationwide that says we've got more important things to worry about than our political stands and our causes and some other things on this list. Come back next week. We're going to pick up with point number three. And uh, yeah, right? See where we go from there. And I'll try not to get myself in any more trouble. If my wife is finishing the sermon next week, you'll know that something happened to me. Send out a search party, look for the body. (laughs) Folks, listen. The idea, the big idea here is that everyone needs Christ. And it's our responsibility to reach them more important than anything else in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house today. God, to worship with our family uh, was just awesome. Lord, to be able to pray your blessing over uh, two households that are doing something that this church without them could not do is just awesome to be able to look at your word and understand what our lives truly are about, what the true purpose of our lives is to be, is just awesome. But God, if it just stops here, then that's not so awesome. I pray as we go from this place today, that God will go out to this world, to our lives, to our everyday, and do our dead level best to let everything we believe about you and your word to weave itself through everything that we do so that we are that light, so that we are that salt, so that we are that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Each one of us can reach one. Would you show us that one, God, and show us how to go about the business of reaching them with your love. Bless us as we go. May we go forward as worshipers and servants and missionaries, taking taking your word to a world that needs it. In your precious name we pray, amen.